It's good to see you this morning. A special welcome to those of you who are here for the first time or are new at Garden Chapel. So am I, so I know how you feel. But I can tell you there are good people at Garden Chapel. They're quite kind and welcoming, and I hope that you feel at home here worshiping the Lord and learning more from God's Word. Today we continue our series, Healthy Church, in the book of Titus, and so we have arrived at Titus chapter 1, verse 10, and we will read verses 10 until verse 16. So Titus 1, beginning in verse 10, Paul writes this letter to Titus, who's on the island of Crete, and he says the following, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, and this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. Father, we come before you, and as we just sang, we come before you on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. None of our good works or our righteousness is enough to enter into your presence. And how grateful we are for the sacrificial death of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. And we pray, Lord, now that as we look into the word that you have given to us your word, that we will hear what the Spirit has to say to the church, and that we will leave this place encouraged, challenged, and with a renewed zeal to give our all to you and to be men and women of the word. And we pray all of this in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, we all know, some of us all too well, that there are kinds of food that are not good for our bodily health. They taste good, but they're not good for our bodily health. Well, in the same vein, there is teaching available to us today that is not good for our spiritual health. And it's pretty obvious, if you read the passage, that that is the focus of what we're dealing with this morning. Last week we saw that a healthy church is marked by healthy leadership, and today we see that a healthy church is marked by healthy doctrine. God truly desires that his church is sound in the faith. That's a phrase, by the way, that comes straight from verse 13, where Paul says, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And another word for sound is healthy. Now, perhaps some of you this morning say, well, I don't know. I don't know, do I really need doctrine in the first place? I mean, isn't doctrine something for pastors and for Bible college students? That's not where I live. 
I'm just worried how I'm going to pay my bills. I just want to do good for the poor. I'm just trying to figure this marriage thing out. Why should I be concerned about truth and doctrine and beliefs? Well, if you look under the hood of all of your actions, you will find that there are beliefs and convictions and viewpoints that are driving what you do. And so the whole notion of like, I don't need any doctrine will not work. The question is, what is it that you believe? What is it that you are convinced of? And are those things true? Are those things biblical? That's the question. Well, this morning, we're going to see that wrong beliefs are not only wrong, they are also very dangerous. That is what Paul is trying to tell Titus, who is responsible for the health of the church on Crete, that he is going to be exposed to false teachers and they need to be dealt with because they're not only false in what they teach, they're also dangerous for the health and well-being of the church. That is a message that I take to heart as a believer in Jesus Christ. That is a message that I take to heart as a pastor, one of the pastors of this church. Because one of the jobs that God gives to an elder pastor is to warn the flock against wolves who dress up as sheep and to protect the flock with all of his might. So this is a message about false teaching, false teachers, doctrine that is biblically out of bounds. And it's very relevant and very necessary. Many church folks today do not tolerate healthy doctrine. They seek teachers that tell them what they want to hear. As Paul says in his letter to Timothy, teachers that will tickle the ears. And so they follow preachers, they read books, they seek out counselors that say what they want to, what they want to hear, that give them positive feelings so that they leave church with this great vibe. The question is, have they been taught truth? One example of that is the philosophy that says, God will reward your faith in him, and he will reward your giving to him by making you wealthy and by keeping you healthy. That is not biblical teaching. That is teaching that comes straight from hell. Known as prosperity gospel, name it or claim it, word of faith. You will not find a single promise in the Bible where God says, if you believe in me, if you follow me, if you give to me, if you give to my cause, these blessings will follow. Oh, he may bless us with wealth. He may bless us with help, with health, but that's not something that he has promised us. And yet this teaching is embraced by thousands, by millions around the world and is leading countless people astray. Truth is never measured, as Charles Spurgeon says, by the number of people who believe it. So don't think 
that because a pastor or a preacher has a huge church, it is a healthy church. What we're going to learn today is that if we want a healthy church, which means it has a healthy leadership culture that is biblical in its, in its function and biblical in the way it's carried out, if we want to be a healthy church, we want to have a church that's healthy in doctrine, we need to do three things according to this passage. Number one, we need to be alert, on our guard, aware of the fact that there are wolves, there are false teachers. Number two, we must be steadfast, grounded, rooted, committed to the truth of God's word. And number three, we must be pure. So let's look at the first one. Be alert. Verse 10, Paul writes, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. Now remember, last week we saw Paul left Titus on Crete with a distinct purpose to strengthen and organize the church by appointing elders. We also saw last week that their job, among other jobs, was to teach the truth and to defend the truth. That's verse 9. And here we discover the reason why. There is urgency to Paul's plea that elders teach and defend the truth of God's word. And here's the reason. There are many, Paul says, verse 11, who do not teach or teach what they ought not to teach. What they teach is falsehood, and they must be silenced. They're described as rebellious, empty talkers, misleading people, consciously or subconsciously. Their wrong teaching has infiltrated the church to the point that it infiltrates entire families. The problem is not just the teaching, the problem is also the teacher and his motive. Look at verse 11. They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. There is nothing new under the sun, isn't there? Why were they teaching what they were teaching? Money, money, money. Gain, shameful gain. For themselves. Like I said, there's nothing new under the sun. I had to chuckle, and at the same time, I got pretty upset when a few years ago I read of one prosperity gospel preacher who asked his supporters to help him raise $54 million for a new private jet. He already had three, this is number four, to help him efficiently spread the gospel to as many people as possible. Also mentioned that the airplane included noise-limiting acoustic technology, wireless entertainment, and an in-flight shower. Me, me, me. There is indeed nothing new under the sun. And Paul admonishes Titus, these false teachers should not receive a platform in the church. They must be silenced. Why? It's about the health of the church. 
the well-being of the church, the doctrinal purity of the church. Now, we're not taught explicitly what this teaching entailed, but we do know it had a distinct Jewish flavor. Verse 14 says that they were devoted to Jewish myths. Verse 11 says that a big chunk of these false teachers belonged to the circumcision party. And so when we put the pieces together and we add some of Paul's other writings, especially to Timothy, to this, it becomes pretty clear that we're dealing here with a group of people that were Jewish, Christians, quote-unquote, who taught that salvation comes by believing in Jesus plus doing good works. Gospel plus keeping the law of which circumcision is the sign. And that belief is wrong. And that belief is dangerous. You know why? It leads to two things. Number one, despair. Because if you think your salvation is dependent on your performance, you're toast. Because you will never, ever measure up to the standard of God, which is perfection. And so you despair. It's hopeless. Or the pendulum swings in the other direction. You become filled with pride. Because you compare yourselves with others. You're like in an elevator. You're up here. Someone is down here. And you're looking down on them because you're much better than them. And it fills you with pride. And the gospel destroys both of them. The gospel says that we're not saved by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's a saying that came to us through the great reformers and something that you should memorize. This is what the Bible teaches. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is why we're saved. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. When we believed in what Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross, repented of our sins, turned to him for salvation, the Father applies the perfect righteousness of his Son to us. So that when the Father sees us, he sees us clothed in the righteousness and the perfection and the holiness of his Son. It's like this. Let's say you're a student and you're a poor student and you come home with your report card and every subject is an F. But there is someone in your class who is a straight A student and this person suggests to you, legal or illegal, moral, immoral, that you swap report cards. You get his ace, he takes all your failures. If you know Christ as Lord and Savior, that's what he did for you. He took each of your sins, each of your failures, each of your shortcomings upon himself when he hung on the cross and you, in the greatest exchange that ever took place, received his 
perfect righteousness, his perfect record, his straight A report card, so that now the Father sees you with that perfection, the perfection of Christ, and welcomes you forever into his fellowship. Accepts you fully, not on the basis of what you have done, but on the basis of what Jesus did on your behalf for you. And that is what the false teachers denied, and that's why Paul gets so direct, because that is undermining the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God's grace. That false belief that salvation is by works is a life, a well today, as are many other false beliefs. And so I say to you, be aware. Be aware. Be on your guard for what you read, who you listen to. I have not the illusion, and I would not even want it to happen, that I'm the only preacher that you listen to. Neither am I above correction. So even when Pastor Mark preaches, be alert. You should have a basic trust in what I say, but I'm not God. And my understanding of Scripture can be flawed. Beware when you listen to podcasts, watch YouTube videos. There is lots of sound teaching available today. Praise God. But there's a lot of junk as well that confuse and deceive Christians. So beware, beware, beware. Now, before we move on to the second point, be steadfast, I want to say something that is related to this and that's really on my heart. So see this as kind of like a parenthesis. I don't think that there are many people here who do not believe that salvation comes to us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I mean, we just sang of it, and you sang well as if you meant it. So I assume you do. But we can all fall into the performance trap. And here's the scenario. Let's say you struggle with sin, which we all do. But let's say... This struggle, this particular week, this particular day, is heavy. You failed. And you failed again. And you feel like you don't measure up, which is true. Which makes you feel like you're not valuable to God. The performance trap goes like this in moments like that. If I do good, God loves me. If I do bad, God tolerates me. He keeps his distance from me. We're, we're still related, but his heart is not filled with love because of what I've done and how I have denied him, disobeyed him. The truth of the gospel is that God loves us 100% on our best day, and he loves us 100% on our worst day. Why? Because 
the perfect righteousness of Jesus has been applied to us. Praise God for that. So we have to stop, and it is so innate, it is such a knee-jerk reaction. I think John Piper calls it the debtor's ethic. To think that good works are a way to earn God's favor as Christians. That's not what they were meant to be. We obey God, we follow God, we serve God because he loves us. As a response to him of thankfulness and love, not in order to earn his love. Now, to live like that is harder than it sounds. Because we are so geared towards this performance mentality. That, too, is false doctrine that we must reject in our own lives and in our church. End of parenthesis. Be alert. Be steadfast. Number two. If we want to be on our guard for viewpoints, convictions, beliefs that are contrary to Scripture, we need, before that actually, a resolute commitment to the truth of God's word. Paul, in writing to Titus, really wants Titus to uphold the objective standard of God's truth. If I draw a line on the floor and I ask you, tell me how long do you think this line is? Someone says 13 inches, 15 inches, someone 14 and a half. The only way we're going to figure out how long this line is by getting out a tape measure. That is the objective truth. Your opinion is irrelevant. That's how it is with God's word. And Paul understands and wants Titus to understand that if that's the way it is, it will lead to confrontation. You're not going to be able to get away from conversations where you have to say, I love you, but what you're saying is wrong. I care deeply about you. That's actually why I'm saying that you are misled. Let me tell you the truth. The truth that sets you free. The truth that comes not by the opinion of men, but straight from the word of God, which is without mistake. This confrontation is all wrapped up in that sentence in verse 13, rebuke them sharply. Now, there is a little bit of a question, who is the them? We tend to think it's the false teachers, that's how we started, that's what he has been, has been talking about. But now, it appears he switches the subject, he is talking now about Cretans, those who live on the island of Crete. And he says about them in verse 12, that one of them, a prophet of their own, said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And then he adds, this testimony is, is true. It almost seems a little harsh, but Paul is concerned about the soul of this group, whoever they are. They have to be rebuked. So who is this group? Well, in all likelihood, these are believers on the island of Crete 
who were tempted to follow the false teachers. Probably young in their faith, susceptible to teaching that maybe seemed like they had missed something. I've heard so many people over the years say to me, like, yeah, I know this is what the Bible says, but let me tell you, I heard so-and-so speak, and he just opened up the word to me. I heard things I'd never heard before, and I always get a little bit weary when I hear that and a little bit afraid. When someone says, I'm going to tell you something that you've never heard before, then usually what they're telling you is wrong. So perhaps these believers on the island of Crete were in the same boat. Crete was known for the shameless lifestyle. Cicero said, Cretans see highway robbery as honorable. Pretty bad. So out of that culture, people have come to know Christ. But you know how it goes. If you are saved out of a worldly lifestyle and a worldly mentality, it takes time to unlearn wrong old patterns of thinking and old patterns of behavior and learning new ones. And in this time phase, they are vulnerable and an easy prey for the false teachers. Paul is concerned about them and says, you don't just go after the false teachers. You have to rebuke the believers who are led astray sharply. That does not mean you let loose on them. In fact, in his second letter to Timothy, dealing with the same subject matter, he says you need to correct and confront your opponents with gentleness. Paul is all for firmness and convictions and drawing the line in the sand when the Bible draws the line in the sand. But he says attitude matters, motive matters, manner matters, moment matters. We all know Christians who are too comfortable pointing out other people's wrong, and it's not a testimony. It's not. But rebuke they must. With conviction and firmness, kindness and gentleness. See, Paul assumes that Titus, as a spiritual believer, spiritually mature believer has something that is indispensable, has always been indispensable, but today more than ever before, and that is discernment. You know what discernment is? Discernment is the ability to distinguish error from wrong, right from wrong, error from truth. It's technically not an innate ability like chewing or breathing. It is more a skill that you learn over time, like biking or reading. Something that you learn through practice. As you read God's word, as you meditate upon it, as you study it, as you live in community with other believers, grow your understanding of it, so that you develop the skill set of something does not pass the smell test here. And I just can't put my finger on it, but I know there's something that is off. That you're familiar with the word of God. That gives you safety and security and a rootedness and a steadfastness. So let me say something to you 
here this morning. To those of you who are young in the faith, I'm so glad, because I know there's some here, that you have placed your hope in Christ and in Christ alone for the salvation of your soul. And I love the eagerness your desire to take everything in and just soak it all up. But if you want to be sound in the faith, you want to be mature and stable, if you don't want to be blown away by every wind of doctrine, my counsel to you is do not only dig into God's word for yourself and listen to other resources by yourself. Ask someone to disciple you. Someone who's further along in the faith that can help you Grow together as you read God's word so that you become mature, well-rooted. Many, many, many blessings. One of them is so that you will not fall into the trap of believing things that the Bible does not teach that will lead you astray, will damage your soul. Steadfastness is what is needed today. Discernment is what is needed today. Lastly, be pure. There's no doubt, there's no doubt that the false teachers about whom Paul talks are very religious. They are, after all, devoted to Jewish myths, probably based on Old Testament genealogies and speculations and all of that. We don't know exactly what it was, but they're very devoted, very religious. But here's the thing, they betrayed themselves by their works. Look at verse 16. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So here's the thing. Good works don't make a Christian. Salvation comes only and exclusively through faith in Christ alone. By grace alone. However, good works can validate the Christian. In other words, it is possible, and with a size this group, I imagine that there may be a few here that fall into the category who say, I'm a Christian. Why? Well, because I raised my hand in an evangelistic crusade, or I have been baptized, or even, this gets scary, I prayed the sinner's prayer when I was six years old and not be saved. Because your life shows no fruit. The Bible tells us it's one of the most scariest passages in the entire Bible, in Matthew 7, that in the last days, many will say, many will say, millions will say, Lord, have we not done this and that in your name? And Jesus will say, go away from me, I never knew you. They live with a false sense of assurance. How does James put it again? Faith without works is what? Dead, flatline. like a body without a spirit. See, these false teachers were delusional. They fooled themselves, as some do today, thinking that because they jumped through the hoops, 
by jumping through the hoops, they're saved. We're saved by grace through faith. Not a prayer. Not baptism. It is the faith that saves, which often is expressed in a sinner's prayer, but the prayer doesn't save you. Christ does as you place your faith in him. So here's the difference between the true believer and the non-believer in verse 15. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. The pure here are those who truly know Jesus as Savior, not perfect, not fully sanctified, but their minds and their conscience has been purified and is in the process of being sanctified with the result that, generally speaking, they tend to think right and act right and will think more right and act more right as they submit themselves more and more to the authority of Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. Inner purity, it starts all in the heart, goes public, goes from the inside out. False teachers flipped it around. It's from the outside in. I do certain things and therefore I should be okay with God. Circumcised, washing of hands, not doing certain things, doing certain things, keeping the law, following human rules, all of that to become acceptable to God, but it doesn't work because as long as the heart is defiled, everything you do and touch will be defiled. It's like a boy coming home, playing outside for two hours, his hands are dirty. Everything that kid touches is going to be dirty. Why? His hands are dirty. That's how it is with the unbeliever. You only become acceptable to God by placing our hope and our faith in Christ and in Christ alone. And then the process begins of growing in our understanding, in our knowledge of who God is and how amazing he is and how much he desires for us to live in full obedience and submission to him and how that is a life that is the greatest life that you could ever have. I know some of you may sit here and think, I have no idea what you're talking about. Doesn't sound great to me to live under someone's lordship, to have a master, but he's a loving master and a caring master. And when you submit yourself under him, you will live like you've never lived before because that's what you were made for. Whatever other thing you think that you need in your life in order to be satisfied, it is not going to satisfy you. Because you were not made for that. You were made to bring glory to God. And so, be pure, be steadfast, and be alert. Now, how do we tie this together? Real quick, two points of application. One, examine your sources. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, test everything. That includes me and this message. Test everything, hold fast to what is 
good. Books you read, voices you listen to, podcasts you subscribe to, sermons you watch, counselors you see. Here are some questions to ask yourself. Who is the main character? Is it God or man? Is it about the glorification of God or is it about the comfort and the glorification of man or the ministry? Does it emphasize grace at the expense of God's law, which leads to license? Doesn't matter what you do, God loves you. Does it elevate the law at the expense of God's grace? Then you get legalism. And that's not good. Does it give the whole counsel of God? Does this ministry, this writer, this preacher take Bible verses out of context, which is a hallmark of a false teacher? Verses have meaning. The original meaning that is given to us by the author, one meaning, not ten. It has many applications, but it's not our job to just put meanings into the word. Our job is to discover what the meaning is. False teachers are kings in taking verses out of context and giving new meanings. Beware, beware, beware. So examine your sources. And lastly, and this is a great place to end, read, read, and read your Bible. And study it. And meditate upon it. And memorize it. And delight in it. And talk about it with others when we gather. Why? The Bible is like a superfood. It is good for you in many different ways. This is how we know God. This is how we deepen our relationship with him. This is where we find comfort and peace and hope and guidance and direction and joy. This is how you build spiritual muscle. You read it, you pray over it, you apply it. You build spiritual muscle to say no to temptation, which we all desperately need. And also, it will protect you from going off the rails doctrinally, which may save your life. So I tell you, one of the things that I'm praying for us as a church is that Garden Chapel will be filled with men and women and I know many of you are already there, and I'm praying that we'll deepen, and I will pray, I'm praying for many more who are men and women of one book, this one. And that we will more and more become a church of one book as our foundation, as our source of joy, as the book that points us to the Savior who saved us, who loves us and who one day will come to take us home so we will be with him forever and ever. That message must burn on our hearts so that we will share it with everyone we come into contact with. Not so that Garden Chapel gets big. To be honest, I don't really care about that. 
God blesses that, great. I will not lose sleep over it if it stays the way it is as long as this is a healthy, vibrant church filled with leaders that understand their job and submission to God. And at every level, teaching the word of God. Nothing more and nothing less. Father God, thank you for your grace and your mercy in saving us. And oh Lord, I pray that you will keep us from falling into this performance trap. Help us to bask in the grace that you have given us. Jesus' blood applied to us. My record wiped clean. Lord, help us to be a people that will drink from that well of truth over and over and over again and then hand it out to a world that is so utterly thirsty for truth. Help us to be courageous when needed, when appropriate, to confront and to rebuke. In the spirit of Jesus, with conviction and kindness. Trusting you, Lord, as the Bible says, that you, if you will, you may grant them repentance. That's not on us. We are so much at your mercy, but we praise you and thank you that it's readily available. So bless us this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming. God bless you. See you tonight. Please come tonight. Huge encouragement for a missionary if you come out to the presentation.